All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, speaking to you from New York City on this, the 31st day of March 2020. I do want to remind you I write a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. You can sign up for that by going to miningstocks.com, miningstocks.com. You can also order a subscription by calling our office here in New York at 718-457-1426. I uh, also like to encourage you to consider signing up for Chen Lin's letter, What is Chen Buying? What is Chen Selling? Um, and, of course, Michael Oliver is with us today. He'll be talking to us. I always like to remind you it's OliverMSA.com for all that Michael does to learn about his service and, and also um, to sign up for his great newsletter. Uh, we do want to thank all, all of you for listening to this show, making it uh, one of the more popular shows in the Voice America Business Channel. We also like to encourage you to send along your questions, or comments, whatever uh, whatever you might like to say about our show. Send them along to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com, questions the number for taylor at gmail.com. And last but not least, we want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. Our sponsors for this week's show are in resources, Ely Gold Royalties, Great Bear Resources, Hannon Metals, Irving Resources, Lion One Metals, Novo Resources, and Sitka Gold Corp. Before I begin talking about today's show, I want to tell you that uh, I did an interview with Eric Coffin yesterday, which you can listen to at jtaylormedia.com. I believe it's posted there now already. Eric commented on his, inf- on his uh, investment strategies in the midst of this coronavirus epidemic, uh, and he provided a couple of names that he thinks are uh, in a great position to rocket to much higher levels as soon as things settle down with regard to the uh, COVID-19 uh, pandemic. Also, I would like to tell you that uh, about uh, that on April 1st, uh, I will be uh, on a, a webinar along with Eric Coffin, Gwen Preston, and Brian London. Uh, that will be at 2 o'clock tomorrow. 2 o'clock Eastern Time, New York Time. To sign up for that, you can go to miningstocks.com. Go to miningstocks.com, scroll, scroll down uh, the page a bit, and you'll see uh, links to the, uh, to the webinar, to the Metals Investor Forum webinar. Click on that link, and you can sign up. It's free. It's free of charge, but it is uh, a Metals Investor Forum uh, event, and uh, I'll be there along with Gwen Preston, Eric Coffin, uh, uh, and Brian London. Um, now, tomorrow, Eric plans to talk a little bit about liquidity and how that's wrecking havoc on the markets. Gwen plans to talk about how she thinks investors should approach these uncharted waters uh, as an investor. And, and Brian will be talking about some macro-related issues uh, that are impacting the gold markets and other markets. And, of course, 
I'll be talking about um, some of the things you hear about on this show on a regular basis. I've titled today's show, America's Fourth Turning and You. Doug Casey, Chris Taylor, and Michael Oliver are here today. Prior to the COVID-19 outbreak, Doug Casey recently opined on the ideas expressed in The Fourth Turning. That's a book written by William Strauss and Neil Howe that America might be about to face some very major changes that will not be all that joyful, especially for the masses of people who are unprepared. As Machiavelli noted centuries ago, societies arise from poverty through moral strength, and that brings them prosperity. But that prosperity brings on arrogance, and that the arrogance brings on laziness, which brings on weakness and moral decline. Then they're reduced to a condition of slavery and poverty again. Change is the only constant except in the human, uh, in human nature. Uh, in light of the financial disorders afflicting America and the Western world in general, perhaps more dangerously even than the uh, coronavirus, I want to get Doug's opinion as to what might lie ahead for America and what's left of its middle class, what might actually transpire in the economy and change life as we've known it as Americans. That may be, in the end, as President Trump recently opined, uh, perhaps uh, more damage is caused because of economic havoc than uh, from the coronavirus itself. Well, I'm really happy to have Chris Taylor with me today as well to talk about Great Bear and how it's coping uh, with its exploration efforts uh, uh, considering the COVID-19 epidemic. And uh, we'll find out from him how the drill program is going. They had a very aggressive drill program there and one of the most remarkable new gold discoveries uh, in recent years there on their Dixie project. And, uh, and so this is, uh, I think, going to be really very interesting to hear what Chris has to say. That'll be right after our first commercial break. But right now, I'm happy to tell you that Michael Oliver is with us to uh, try to provide some guidance uh, how we should be viewing these markets in, in, um, in light of all of the turmoil uh, that's going on. Thanks for joining me today, Michael. Hi, Jay. Good to be back. Uh, Michael, I'll just let you go uh, talk about it. What should we be watching? I mean, it, you've, you have been uh, forecasting these kinds of events, uh, not with precise timing necessarily, but you have been warning us uh, that the equity markets were, were, were destined for a major decline, not just a soft landing, but something that's going to be very significant. At the same time, you've been very, very bullish on gold and commodities. Uh, so just give us your update on, on what are your thoughts right now and, and what should people really be paying attention to? Well, I think the, the people in the gold sector <clears throat> need to keep an eye on Mama Gold, and Mama Gold continues to go north. Now, there's sharp daily and weekly jolts to the downside, but if you stand back and look at it, <laughs> since August of um, 2018, down around 1160 on gold, mm-hmm. we've advanced. Uh, we had a congestion zone after a breakout that occurred in mid-2019, above that obvious mid-1300 level that had been resistance for five or so years. And... We built a, a congestion zone there, uh, August, September, October, November, December. And then we bolted upward again in January, February, March. January was a strong up month above the highs of 2019. February was a slight down month. This month will settle up. New high monthly close for the move. Not dramatically, but continue to persist mm-hmm. on the upside. So just stand back and look at gold, especially on a monthly closing basis. Don't try to focus in on the day-to-day swings. And then think about, okay, well... A lot of folks in the gold sector thought, as the stock market broke down, oh, gold's going to collapse too. 
Why? Because they remembered one time that their correlation was in sync. That mm-hmm. was a 2008 drop. That's back during a time when gold was both surging up with the stock market and pulling back with the stock market. They're always surging stronger than the stock market. It was outperforming, but it still tended to zigzag with the stock market. I think their memory is too short. Don't just go back to the last time that when the stock market sold off, gold did. Go back 20, 30 years and look at the times when it didn't. Okay, But anyway, this time it is not. Gold is advancing while the stock market is collapsing. Now, then we go to the, the junior things within the precious me- the monetary metal sector. The silver market, which did drop to a new low recently, though has bounced very sharply. It got into the 11s. It's now into the 14s, back above what had been the price low of 2016, which is like 1360. And GDX, which is the most popular ETF of the gold miners, dropped, but it didn't go anywhere near the 2016 lows. And it dropped into the 16s on GDX. This is after seeing price above 30. So it was a severe drop. And no doubt it felt just like it was part of the S&P. It's now trading around 24 in a matter of a week or two off the 16 low. So, you know, put that mm-hmm. in perspective. You know, it's almost an $8 rally. That's a 50% mm-hmm. gain from the low we made two, three weeks ago. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. Put that in perspective. Uh, I think that what's going on in the more emotional arenas of gold, not gold itself, but the miners and silver, is this sense that, oh, they're going to go with the stock market. So if the stock market rolls over again, which we, we think is better than even the odds that we haven't seen the low of this particular first leg of the bear market, mm. will GDX and silver follow it down? What we think is going to happen probably in the commodity arena and um, is that there will be a separation in 2020. Uh, right now, what we suspect on the S&P is that we haven't seen the low of this first drop. We saw a teasing low a week or so ago, just below 2,200 on the S&P. Our target zone stated early this year was a drop to 2,100 to 1,970. We didn't get into that zone. We got the 2,190. I suspect there's a chance we're going to get into that zone in the next drop. But that's only you know a handful of percentages below what we already saw. Mm-hmm. At that point, panic among the central banks is going to increase. They're already panicked. But if you take out the recent stock market low, they're going to think, oh, my goodness, all of the statements we've made, all the actions we've taken have not worked. Well, what does that mean? It means they're going to engage even more so than they have at this point. Now, that should help embolden, I think, the miners and silver. And I think the separation is going to become more and more obvious as the weeks go by here. I suspect strongly that the mining sector will not go down and take out that low. We just saw that spike low. And silver mm-hmm. probably wave goodbye to its low, which was just mm-hmm. below 12. Uh, and will will now advance. Uh, and I think that more and more as the weeks go by, we're going to see that silver and the miners tend to move more in line with gold than they have with the S&P 500. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, as far as the broad commodity category, we've frankly been wrong. Uh, we thought there was a bottom in the Bloomberg Commodity Index uh, a few months ago. We had a rally that looked sufficient to say, okay, the light is green. But then oil and copper, particularly those two commodities, uh, collapsed with the S&P. You know, those are the two most economically sensitive commodities, and they mm-hmm. consider to be you know, like the S&P. 
Well, they dropped very hard. Copper did not make a new low versus its 2016 bear low, but crude oil did. And Bloomberg Commodity Index did, largely because of the energy complex. Uh, grains did not. Grains have still maintained a sideways course. Gold certainly did not. It's making a new high monthly close for the move. So it's primarily the oil and copper that really brought the Bloomberg down, which looks mm-hmm. like the action of the S&P. What we think is probably going to happen there in the commodity complex is that over this year, as the S&P makes a low that's a tradable low, and I think that might be forthcoming in, in April, mm-hmm. we go up for several months in the stock market. Everybody sighs relief, says, oh boy, you know, the, the crisis with the, the coronavirus is over at some point. Mm-hmm. And that issue lifts off the table and it's not an issue anymore. But all of a sudden, then the exposed problems Mm-hmm. that we now are aware of, debt problems and so forth, mm-hmm. uh, become the forefront. Mm-hmm. At that point, after you've had a several-month stock market rally, and a, let's say a copper rally and an oil rally, in sync again with the stock market, that's when asset managers are going to be looking at things like commodity assets, which are definitely at low levels historically, and commodity-related stocks, uh, and they're going to be making a decision about, well, do I trust this stock market rally or is it about time for me to move some assets out of that arena, which I didn't do at a proper time <laughs> a month ago? Uh, you know, I think there's going to be a decision process among investors and asset managers. And I think during that process, we're going to, have, we're going to see more of a shift toward commodities and less out of the U.S. stock market. Mm-hmm. All right. And at that point, no. we'll, more apparent that the miners will be joining gold at that point. Mm-hmm. Well, certainly the miners did extremely well after 2008, 2009, uh, eventually, and, and that happened when the Federal Reserve and other banks around the world started creating liquidity out of thin air, uh, and uh, Lord knows there's going to be more a need for liquidity out of thin air this time by far than there was in 2008, 2009. So, um, you know, we don't wish misery on anybody, but those of us who have seen the conditions being set up for this a move, uh, I, I suspect, are, are more prepared for what's to come than, than many of the others. And, uh, of course, the purpose of this show is to try to turn hard times into good times. And you do that by trying to understand what the fundamentals are. And I know and I would like to just remind my listeners that you're giving your, your outlook for the markets. And that's not just putting a finger in the air and testing the, the, the direction of the, uh, of the wind, but that you actually have uh, time-proven methodologies, proprietary methodologies that you've been using and I've been very impressed with, which is why we like to have you on as often as possible. It's MSA, OliverMSA.com, folks, to uh, learn more about Michael and to sign up for his service. Thank you so much for being with us, Michael, and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll look to talk to you in a couple of weeks from now. Thank you, Jay. Bye-bye. All right. All right, folks, so we do have to go to break, but don't go away because Chris Taylor is going to be with us um, with uh, one of the most, I think one of the most... Um, Exciting new gold discoveries in recent years, the Dixie Project that Great Bear has. So don't go away. We'll be right back with Chris Taylor after a commercial break. Noble Resources Corp. trades on the OTCQX under the symbol NSRPF and on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol NVO. 
Its flagship assets are located in the Pilbara region of Western Australia. Novo has recently partnered with Sumitomo Corporation of Japan to evaluate, advance, and develop the company's Australian gold projects. With over $40 million in cash and $60 million committed from Sumitomo, Novo is well on its way to establishing itself as one of the top junior explorers and developers in Australia. Oran Resources is an exploration company defined by its aggressive ambition to find the world's largest mines. Oran has raised over $100 million in this effort and believes it is on to three major discoveries at its projects in Canada and Peru. This year, Oran plans to drill Sombrero, where targets have analogous features to the 10th largest copper mine globally. The company also plans to drill its other substantial base and precious metal opportunities that management believes will be complemented by the strongest bull market in commodities over the last 50 years. Visit AURYNresources.com and subscribe to keep up with the busy year ahead. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really, really pleased to have with me Chris Taylor. hes uh, I consider him a friend of mine now. He's uh, heading up uh, Great Bear Resources, which has had one of the more remarkable new gold discoveries of recent years, the Dixie Project in Ontario. Uh, and uh, they were on a very aggressive drill program. Uh, just They just kept finding more gold. They stepped out, find more gold. And now they're starting to drill, uh, do some infill drilling to put together a resource, uh, but just a remarkable story. And then along comes this COVID-19 issue, and uh, so we want to find out from Chris how things are going now that, uh, that this scourge of uh, COVID-19 is with us. Thanks for joining us today, Chris. No problem, Jay. Very nice to speak with you again. It's uh, really good uh, to Jay. have you with us. Go ahead. Yeah, thank you. Well, we're, uh, we are actually drilling uh, full steam ahead, uh, as though, not quite as though the COVID situation was not present. That is not true. Uh, we've had to effectively take some serious measures to protect our working population. Uh, but by switching to uh, all local labor in uh, Red Lake, uh, Ontario, we've managed to basically isolate uh, all the employees and workers that we have uh, from outside contact and keep the drills uh, spinning. So our big exploration program is still going. And, uh, you know, oddly enough, um, you know, although we were probably the uh, second biggest drill program in Canada a month ago, uh, today we are the biggest active drill program in the country because everybody else is shut down. Wow. That's, uh, well, I know you had one of, the, as you say, one of the, maybe the second largest, but so your workers are mostly local, and of course, Red Lake is, you know, I mean, it's it's far away from Toronto or other major metropolitan areas, right? What's the closest, uh, Red, how big is Red Lake itself, the town? 
Well, you know, in, including uh, laborers, workers that are in town, I mean, you're going to max out at about 7,000 people at any given time. And there's uh, one highway that accesses the community. So it's actually a good situation for the local people. They can quite easily uh, keep um, external visitors away. And there are travel restrictions in place, of course, across most of Canada, uh, like there are across the United States right now. And uh, that means that there are effectively no out-of-town visitors in that area. But you do have a mining uh, conscious uh, experience labor pool living there. So we are able to monopolize the local labor and keep the drills uh, turning. Is there a hospital there? A small hospital, at least I would imagine with 7,000 people, there must be some medical facility. Yeah, of course. It's just that the, the number of bed spaces there is so limited that you definitely, the best solution for a small community like Red Lake is simply to keep infected people away. And that way right. they can keep uh, their lives moving along as, as normally as possible. Right. But they are, I suppose, testing, hopefully, uh, in case something does spring up that they could isolate people, whoever is infected, I suppose. Hopefully it doesn't happen. Correct. But yeah. Uh, yeah. We're seeing across yeah, in the United exactly. States, of course, the spread is, is, is all throughout the country for the most part. And there are some isolated areas, but for the most part. Well, it's really good to know. I mean, you are very unusual then. I know a lot of the drilling programs have been, have been cut back substantially. I think in Quebec, they shut down the mining industry entirely. Uh, what about labs? Are the labs operating, the ones that you use? Uh, yeah, Jay, and that was one of the uh, concerns we had. Even if we were able to keep the drill spinning, uh, it doesn't do you a lot of good to drill the rock and then not be able to determine how much gold is in it. So uh, certainly the labs that we use have been, uh, they've had to take some steps to uh, consolidate operations and make sure there are fewer people working around each other, but they're still working as well. So from us, um, you know, from a landscape of hundreds of companies that are working like we are, um, right now we're down to just a handful. And, uh, you know, it should be a good position for Great Bear because we can keep producing news throughout this cycle. And I think, you know, given the way I expect gold to react on the back of all this, um, you know, quantitative easing, uh, I guess, a.k.a. printing money uh, that's going to have to go on here, I think gold uh, long term uh, will probably react quite well. And companies like ours in Great Bear who are able to uh, continue uh, expanding their gold discovery and continuing with news flow in the market. I mean, we have a better chance than many uh, to, you know, benefit our shareholders through that ongoing activity. Yeah. Well, uh, we haven't heard of any drill results for some time. Might, might we expect some soon? I know there are some companies that I've talked to have said, yeah, we have some results, but who's going to pay attention right now? We're just holding on to them. But are, are yeah, you, do, might, might we expect some results sometime soon? Uh, yes, I would. I would say so. In our case, uh, you know, we're confident we have. We've been drilling uh, continuously since our last news about a month ago, and that means that we're finally getting enough assays back from the lab. And remember, the labs are working at reduced capacity, uh, but they're still working. But we have enough results coming together now that I would expect news in the near future. And uh, the drilling continues to go well. So, um, you know, this is where we have an opportunity for, um, you know, the people that are interested in diversifying holdings, uh, their investment holdings into the gold space specifically. I think companies like ours uh, stand, uh, you know, they stand to benefit from uh, sort of a generalist investor uh, turnover. I think there's going to be some diversification in investment interest coming up here. Um, on the back of all this COVID-19 situation. 
All right. Well, uh, I want to ask you about the uh, the plans to spin out um, shareholders into a royalty company. But before we get to that, I'm just wondering if you could sort of refresh our memory again in your existing drill program. What your what the objectives of that program uh, are? Okay, that's a great point, Jay. Uh, well, it looks like what Great Bear has found is one of the largest new gold discoveries. Uh, in many years. I know that's a very broad and promotional sounding statement, but uh, for instance, out of the this large LP fault discovery, uh, we've got gold drilled over four to five kilometers. So this is something like about uh, two to three miles long. Uh, every drill hole that we've put into that thing, and that's getting to be uh, on the order of over 100 drill holes now, has hit gold uh, without fail. And that's amazing to think that that is one zone uh, that we're drilling off. So what we're going to do is uh, continue drilling what looks to be uh, what the industry calls a Tier 1 discovery. And by Tier 1, the mines around the world that are characterized as Tier 1 mines, these tend to be, um, you know, operations that can produce, say, uh, half a million ounces of gold a year uh, for a period of 10 years or more. And this is really... Um, we still need to drill to prove that this is what we have found. Obviously, this is a discovery that we only made nine or ten months ago, so it's still early days, but it's looking very good. And if Great Bear is sitting on a Tier 1-type discovery, um, the parallel discoveries like this have been, um, they've certainly netted uh, very large amounts of value for uh, the groups that had them to the tune of uh, billions of dollars frequently. So uh, right now, uh, you know, Great Bear is, uh, it's a relatively small company, a couple hundred million dollar market cap in mm-hmm. US dollars. Uh, but uh, you're looking at uh, parallel discoveries have almost uh, exclusively uh, made up the core assets of the big mining companies in the world. And that's our goal here is to continue drilling, ensuring that's the case, because if it is, uh, it should be a value proposition uh, to the tune of, uh, you know, multiples of what we're currently looking at as a company. So we want to keep that going. And, and to get to your question about the royalty spin-out, mm-hmm. um, the basis of some of the most successful royalty companies in the world have been royalties that are owned uh, on these tier one assets. So if we are one of those, uh, then the value of the royalty spin-out that we're undertaking now uh, should be, um, you know, quite substantial, potentially, hmm. similar to what the company itself is worth at the moment. All right. Talk to us about the spin-out plans, because you did put some news out just yesterday about that. Uh, I own some shares. How many, what is the record date? What record date do you think it will be that will determine whether you get a, a, some shares in the spin-out? Well, if you're a shareholder of Great Bear, uh, the mining company or the exploration company, uh, around the end of April, so say around the 28th of April or so, uh, you will be receiving shares of the royalty spin-out company. Okay. All right. And any more information? I think I saw something like one out of one for four or something like that. So if I had uh, a thousand shares of Great Bear, I'd get 250 or something like that. Is that the ratio you're looking at? Yeah, that's exactly right, Jay. Uh, let give us an opportunity to keep the share structure of the new royalty company tight. Uh, that's mm-hmm. like um, uh, keeps your powder dry for future transactions and growth. Uh, but at the same time, you want to fairly uh, reward, in a sense it's a bit of a dividend, uh, you want to reward the shareholders of Great Bear uh, and distribute the value, the future value of that royalty directly to them instead of to some other company. Um, you know, you don't have a crystal ball 
it could be possible, uh, you know, based on the size of the discovery that we've made, that ultimately the project gets purchased by another entity, gets mined by another entity. But this is a way that we're protecting that future uh, revenue stream value for our shareholders in Great Bear. Right, and it does have to get uh, shareholder approval. I think two-thirds of the shares have to be voted in favor. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. So there'll be a meeting at about the end of April where, um, you know, we'll receive the uh, votes uh, from everybody. Effectively, the people that get to vote were the shareholders on March 16th. It's just regulatory requirements. There needs to be a lag there. Uh, then we tally up the votes around the end of April. And uh, effectively, if you're a shareholder at the end of April and it's approved by the uh, the, the voting population, uh, then effectively you'll get the spin-out shares. Um, you know, for every four shares of Great Bear that you own, you'll get uh, one share of the mm-hmm. royalty company. All right. Well, it's, it's certainly one of the things, one of the reasons that I wanted to hang on to my shares, um, you know, for the long term, of course, but this was really something that I found very attractive, uh, the idea of this spin out, because I do believe that you're on to a very major discovery, Chris, and, uh, and it should be worth a lot um, going forward. And I think there have been some, you know, some pretty substantial royalty companies that have been born out of situations like this. So I, th- I think this is really exciting. I guess uh, existing shareholders that are listening to this should make sure uh, that they uh, that they vote on this issue, right? By proxy or however. Yeah, the, the feedback that we've received from uh, the majority of shareholders has been extremely positive. I think everybody recognizes that uh, it's management's intention to reward uh, our shareholders specifically uh, for you know the, what's effectively a very unusual and very exciting gold discovery. So again, let's make sure that it's great bear shareholders that benefit from this over the long term. And certainly, if the project materializes the way we think it is, uh, there's a lot of upside uh, to be expected on the exploration side as well, even uh, well after uh, this spin-out occurs. Oh, definitely. Well, it is really exciting. I'm, I'm very proud to have you as a sponsor to the show, and I'm very uh, very pleased to own shares myself and to have, uh, I think maybe Gwen Preston beat me on onto this story, or maybe Eric Coffin, I don't know, I don't care who, but we got our, our, share, our uh, subscribers in early. And um, it's been a very, a very nice ride, notwithstanding some of the bumps along the way, like the ones we're experiencing now. I do note that they think March 16th is a date that you could vote. The, the shares that you own was a day when the stock got hit pretty hard. So I'm having an idea that a lot of investors probably got triggered out on that very day. But uh, somebody was buying the shares, but uh, it's going to be interesting. You think it's pretty likely that you'll get uh, a favorable vote, I guess, then probably, right, Chris? Oh, yeah. You know, it, it's been exclusively positive feedback that we've received, almost exclusively positive feedback from especially the more sophisticated investors uh, that understand the potential value of what they're getting. At the moment, it's not uh, potentially worth that much, uh, but the future value is very substantial. And that's up to us. The continued success from Great Bear uh, Exploration as we continue to drill will build in the value of that royalty over time. Okay, one more thing then. I believe you're well-funded to continue your drill program through the end of this year. Do I have that right? Yeah, that's correct, Jay. Uh, Great Bear doesn't need to raise more money until sometime in 2021. We can, we can continue drilling over the intervening time period uh, without pause, and that puts us in a you know much better footing given the context of the market. I think I'd like to see uh, some additional value built into the story before uh, we issue any more stock. 
Absolutely. Well, it's, it's very exciting. Thank you so much, Chris, for being with us, and uh, we'll look to keep up with uh, things going in, into the future. Thank you so much. All right, folks, um, we do have to go to break now, but don't go away because Doug Casey will be with us. I think he'll have some very interesting things to say about the gold markets and, and a lot of other socioeconomic uh, aspects to COVID-19 and, uh, and the economic picture that isn't looking all that bright for fiat currency going forward. So don't go away. We'll be right back with Doug Casey. Great Bear Resources, trading under GBR on the TSX and GTBDF on the OTCQX, is a gold exploration company focused on their 23-kilometer, wholly-owned Dixie project in the prolific Red Lake Mining District of Ontario. Having recently made multiple high-grade gold discoveries, GBR is fully funded to complete a very active 200,000-meter drill program through to the year 2021. Stay up to date on what has been considered one of the best performing exploration stocks in the last two years by visiting greatbearresources.ca. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questions4taylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have Doug Casey with me once again. Now, if you're a gold-orientated investor, you already know who Doug is. He has had a remarkable track record as an author, investor, and speaker, and uh, a more complete bio is available on this show's webpage, uh, Voice America Business Channel. Uh, but suffice it to say that you are in for a real treat over the next 20 minutes or so in listening to what Doug has to say. He's always an entertaining speaker, uh, and he also brings with him a great deal of experience and wisdom. So thank you so much for joining me, Doug. Thanks, Jay. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm uh, speaking you from, to you from uh, the uh, backward but pleasant little country of Uruguay at the moment. <laughs> are, are you in the mountains? Is it a- No, I'm at the beach, actually. Oh, at the uh, beach. Okay, but you're... On a farm near the mm-hmm. beach. And uh, I think you said you're there with uh, horses and cows and dogs and cats and a few of, your, uh, a few of the people that help you and work, work with you there. Mm-hmm. So um, you, you, you like, uh, you, I mean, your place in Cafiate in, uh, in Argentina is, is kind of an isolated place, too. You enjoy being sort of isolated from, from all of the riffraff, or, or what is it, Doug? I mean, you like to be... Where you where you feel safe? I know you're, I know you're a great reader, uh, you're a great intellectual, so you like to think and read and so forth. So, I guess for you, living in a place where you don't have hundreds and thousands of people crowded around you is is a delight, I suppose. Well, look, I'm very happy being alone with a bunch of books and the internet. Uh, I don't need to be surrounded by millions of people. 
and of course, this recent hysteria about the virus has underlined the fact that uh, having millions of people around you can be a, a risk, can be a danger. Although I hasten to add that the, uh, the virus is 95% hysteria. Wow, that's that's quite a statement because uh, you know we're we're inundated with this need to make sure that we don't leave our houses and we stay put, uh, and how serious it is and how it's going to wipe out humanity if we're not careful. Um, yeah. Tell me, tell me why well, all this stuff I'm hearing is wrong. Okay, uh, look, in the last twenty years, we've had swine flu, we've had bird flu, we've had HIV. We've had uh, a number of other things uh, besides. Uh, viruses come and go. They reach a peak and then they go away. Now, the most serious thing uh, in the way of a pandemic that we've had for over 100 years was the Spanish flu in 1918 and 1919. Mm-hmm. Uh, it said that it killed about 600,000 Americans, Okay. Uh, that would be roughly the equivalent of 1.8 million Americans dying today. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though that happened, uh, during the time it happened, there was a, a minor recession in the country, mostly due to uh, the demobilization from World War I and the uh, distortions that that adventure created. Mm-hmm. And life went on. Uh, so today, with much, uh, a much, much more uh, advanced knowledge of medicine, uh, this is a big nothing burger. Uh, okay, so the number of people that are going to die, it's unfortunate. But as what's happened in Italy, the average age of people that are said to have died from the coronavirus in Italy is about 80. So... If you're not really old and not really sick, you're probably pretty safe. But in just the normal seasonal flu, uh, like a tenth of a percent of the people that get it die. Mm -hmm. So this is hysteria. This is actually looked at from a historical point of view. The only thing I can think of that's comparable to this is the the 17th century which hysteria? I mean, it's actually that insane that the that the entire economy of the world is being collapsed uh, just on another flu virus. More serious, hmm. than most I'm sure, but just another one. So no, I uh, I discount it heavily, and I, I'm not here in the middle of nowhere on a farm hiding from the flu. I'm here. Because I'd be here anyway, and I enjoy it. So it's that's where I stand on. All right. Well, that's that's very interesting, and I think it ties in very well with what I wanted to talk to you today about uh, about the fourth turning. So back in 1918, you didn't have the government doing what the government's doing today. Do you think that has something to do with the the place that America is right now in that fourth turning? And maybe before you answer that, uh, give our listeners a little bit of, a, of an overview, those that haven't read the book, uh, what The Fourth Turning is all about. Well, it's not my book. It's, uh, it was done by Howe and Strauss, mm-hmm. but it's an excellent book. And I recommend that 
people read not only the fourth turning, but the book that they wrote before that called Generations. And basically, it's a generational theory of history. Uh, it's well known that generations tend to go from being liberal to conservative to back to liberal again and so forth. Okay, that's all true. But what they've done is they've they figured out that there are actually four generational types. And I, I don't want to go into that so much mm-hmm. because it's their theory, not mine. I think it's a yeah. correct theory, basically. But um, the way I want to put these, what's going on today into context is that um, Western civilization itself, uh, I think, peaked uh, just before World War One. In other words, it peaked in about 1914. And it's been going downhill since then. All the values that made the West as great as it is are being washed away at an accelerating rate. And every time there's a major crisis, um, financial, political, what have you, and in this case, medical, or I'd say faux medical, uh, it gives the government uh, more of an opportunity to grasp power. Mm-hmm. The kind of people that go into government are the kind of people that aren't so interested in controlling physical reality as they are controlling other people. Mm-hmm. So this is a wonderful thing from the point of view of the kind of people that go into government. Uh, a disaster from the point mm-hmm. of view of uh, uh, the average guy, traditional Americans. But this is really serious. The flu is not the serious thing. It's the knock-on effects of the flu, the um, the um, business collapse that's happening as a result of the hysteria, and even more important than those second-order effects are the third-order effects, which are what the government's doing. They're going to set up new agencies, they're going to be new taxes, new regulations. Listen, I wouldn't doubt that they're going to say that everybody has to be vaccinated when they come up with some kind of a flu vaccination. Mm-hmm. And if you're not, you can't fly and God knows what else. The possibilities are endless. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, uh, that's what's appealing to uh, those that are seeking power, for sure. But then I'm wondering if the American people then at this stage in history are more susceptible than they would have been in 1913, uh, 1914, that time frame earlier than that. Of course, it was 1913, thereabouts the time when we had the Fed. The Fed was created to protect who? To protect, I guess, to protect J.P. Morgan. Uh, But the idea was to protect all of us, right? And the IRS was there to to help us as well, supposedly. I mean, that's how it was sold to us. Sure, they're all lies. Uh, Look, back then, uh, Americans were much more independent uh, freedom was a much more of a real concept, and these things have become very, very degraded over time, where the government uh, has gone from being just a distant power that was in Washington and did some things from time to time, like 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 start the war between the states, mm-hmm. uh, where now it's an overweening influence in every aspect of our lives. Uh, it's the average American views the government as a cornucopia where everything comes from. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, money, food, uh, orders, leadership, everything. Uh, this is a very disturbing 
trend. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know how it's going to end, but it's going to end badly. Yeah, I mean it's it's pretty incredible when you think about it. Where to where to you know the the idea that government has endless amounts of resources. Uh, it's I mean they believe it. I believe they. I mean our universities are not teaching people anything to do with economics. If it, any economics, it's all Marxist stuff, right? I mean it's just. It's, it's easy to understand how we have an AOC here, and uh, not far from where I live here in Queens. You know, uh, no, they've, all ab- been, they've all been educated along those lines. You're absolutely correct. Uh, the cultural Marxists have long since taken over the education system in the U.S., especially the universities, but even the high schools and the grade schools. And kids go to school, and they're indoctrinated with all of these poisonous ideas. So it's only natural that when they get out into the world, they believe the things that they were taught by authority figures. And their parents believe the same things because they were taught the same things. So uh, I, I, listen, I think the battle, I hate to sound defeatist, but uh, frankly, uh, the good guys have lost. And it's, it's a real pity. And compounding this is what's happened in the financial markets, where since the uh, last crisis uh, of 2008 to 2010 was kind of solved by printing up trillions and trillions mm-hmm. of currency units, mm-hmm. creating a bubble in stocks, a hyper-bubble in bonds, reinflating the bubble in real estate, uh, And now the average guy is very involved in all these things. Mm -hmm. Uh, And he's going to be washed away financially. And so what's he going to do? Well, he's going to look to the government to bail him out and to kiss everything and make it better. So, look, there's almost no way out of this conundrum at this point. It's, it's, it's very bad news. I'm, I'm sorry to sound so gloomy, Jay. Well, I, it, is, it is the truth. I, I have no doubt about that. And, and uh, in a, uh, an interview that you did recently, you, uh, you noted that Machiavelli had figured this out uh, centuries ago, in fact, and yet we don't learn, do we? Uh, what's, what is it with the human race that we can't learn from, he- from history? I mean, the, you know, the, the definition of insanity is continuing to do the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. And yet that's what we're doing. I mean, just talk about the financial situation, about the Federal Reserve. Every cycle, they print more money, and we just dig ourselves deeper into a hole. And now we have negative interest rates, and God knows what's going to happen. That is just like trying to fool Mother Nature with negative interest rates. It's just Mm. insane. How, How can we have capitalism if we're not allowed to price capital? That's what I'd like to know. Well, we don't have capitalism to start with. Uh, We actually have what's technically known as fascism, where there is is private ownership of of both capital goods and consumer goods, but the government regulates and controls it all. So, no, we don't have have capitalism. It's a mistake to confuse what we have with capitalism. Yeah, and it doesn't matter which party's in power. They're both they're both sold out to this uh, to the, to this scam. Oh, it's uh, it's endemic. It is. It's uh, it's it's a it's a mass dramatization of psychological aberrations that uh, are common to humans. I mean, 
increasingly, uh, I'm starting to view my fellow humans as uh, a bunch of chimpanzees gathered around a watering hole, and it's really <laughs> easy to get them hooting and panting. Uh, I just, I just hope we don't make the Chinese into our new enemy. Seems like things are lining up that way, actually. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When things get bad domestically. Uh, governments like to find a foreign enemy to blame it all on. Mm-hmm. And this virus is perhaps as good an excuse as any. I'm sure that a lot of people in the U.S. military uh, right now are thinking pretty much the way the Russian military thought back in the mid-'80s. Gee, if we don't strike now, we may be too late to strike mm-hmm. soon and certain to lose the war. So that's why we came so close to World War III back in the 80s when Mm -hmm. the Soviet Union was on the point of falling apart. Um, And at this point, uh, the bloated U.S. military and the the U.S. state generally uh, is, you know, yeah, it's it's possible we can have a war. But I think World War III, uh, wars have not been abolished, uh, is likely to have... Uh, a very, very big biological element. In other words, why use nuclear weapons or well, things like B-2s and uh, F-35s and M1 tanks? This stuff is all junk, just expensive junk. When uh, a, a virus, I'm not saying this virus, mm-hmm. virus is, is what's going on, but mm-hmm. when the war comes, it'll definitely have a biological nature. It's Mm -hmm. cheap, it has plausible deniability, it can be directed genetically towards certain groups, Uh, leaves all the capital standing, you don't have to blow it up. I mean, it's it's got all kinds of advantages. Uh, So that's, of course, what they're going to do. And and the U.S. government has been working on biological weapons for decades, and you can rest sure that other countries have too. Right, for sure. Well, uh, so, but how, okay, so maybe that's a cheaper way, too. I mean, I was going to ask you, what about the, uh, the the ability to finance this? And, I mean, as long as the rest of the world is, is willing to accept dollars. But I, I think there's signs, Doug, that right now there's less of a tendency for, for American or for uh, foreigners. I mean, uh, Alistair McLeod's been talking about how the export, uh, net export con- countries are not recycling their their dollars back into treasuries um, at, at, at the very time when the U.S. Treasury uh, needs are greater than ever, when the borrowing is going just absolutely berserk and um, exponential, and yet foreigners aren't coming in, so there's nobody left but the Fed to print. Uh, who's going to buy anyway? Who wants to buy treasuries at, uh, at zero interest rates? So how do we uh, how do we finance something like that? I mean, the, the war is to be financeable. I guess maybe that's another reason for biological weapons. It might be a lot cheaper than, uh, as you say, you leave the capital intact, right? So, yeah, that's right. Uh, but uh, the um, it's a real problem that the U.S. government has come up against with the dollar. It's that yeah. they're spending trillions now. I mean, trillions. Uh, the deficit isn't just going to be a trillion, not two trillion. No. It's going to be three or four trillion, and as the depression, and we have started on a depression, incidentally, gets worse, they're going to spend more money, and they're going to have less income from taxes. 
So the only way they can get money is by selling it to the Federal Reserve, which credits their accounts at commercial banks, and then the government dispenses it as it, as it, as it wishes. So this is going to devastate the average American who's on a fixed pension in dollars, uh, people that have savings in dollars, people that are in the stock market, because I think the stock market's got a long way to fall. But mm-hmm. the real paper bubble, the real danger is in the bond market. For sure. Uh, I mean, we're head over heels in debt. And that debt's going to be defaulted on directly or indirectly. And that's a real problem for the people that own the debt. In other words, people that own treasury bills and other kinds of bonds. Jesus, uh, in an urbanized society, such as we have now, where everything is just in time, mm-hmm. uh, if you don't have capital and you don't have savings, everything could come unglued. Mm-hmm. Very rapidly, and then you're totally dependent on the government. Well, let me ask you, Doug, with just about three minutes left here or so, um, can the dollar remain as the world's reserve currency, and and what's going to take its place, if if not, if it can't remain? Uh, no, the dollar is on its way out rapidly. It's no longer going to be the world's currency. Uh, the Chinese and the Russians in particular have been big gold buyers. Uh, why? They have, even when, when the Chinese trade with the Russians, they have to use dollars because uh, they don't trust the, the yuan or the ruble between mm-hmm. themselves. They use dollars. But all those dollars have to clear through New York and settle in the U.S., even between these two countries that are big adversaries of ours. So <laughs> what, what, what's happening is you're going to find in the future a gold-backed ruble, a gold-backed yuan, but all the world is going to go back to gold because none of them trust each other's funny money currencies. Um, no, the dollar is on its way out. So the answer to the question is, uh, the only thing that really makes sense for the average guy or the guy with a lot of money is to buy gold today. Mm-hmm. Buy gold coins. And right now, as a speculation, gold stocks are superb. Mm-hmm. A lot of money, all these fund managers are going to pile into them uh, we're going to get a bubble in gold stocks next. I'm convinced yeah. of it. Well, I wouldn't be surprised. If we're, we're hearing stories right now, Doug, though, that it's uh, very difficult to take delivery of gold. A lot of the buyers are having trouble. Um, what do you make of that? And, and what, how, much, how much good is gold going to be to us? Um, you know, if, if, there, if everything around us, uh, if we can't buy food, if we can't buy items and, you know, things that we have to have for life, uh, for life itself. Well, gold is the only financial asset that is not simultaneously somebody else's liability. And that's very important in a time when you can't trust the currency. As far as having food and other things that you want, um, look, even in countries with crappy currencies where the economy is collapsing, like Venezuela, or in particular right across the Plate River from where I am in Argentina, where I spend a lot of time, Life still goes on, mm-hmm. but uh, it's going to turn out that the people that have gold in the future are going to have real wealth. That they're going to be able to trade for whatever kind of new currency the government comes up with. And incidentally, uh, since the 1930s, when both Argentina and Brazil had gold standards and had gold coins circulating among the population, since then, uh, both of them uh, have had about five or six different currencies mm-hmm. that have been destroyed in sequence. But life goes on. So yeah. 
life goes on. All it right. May a, we may, it may be a police state, yeah. but life goes on. Life goes on. All right. Well, uh, Doug, for people that, um, I mean, most people know who you are, but uh, how can they follow what you're doing? They get on a mailing list? Well, uh, thank you, Jay. I always appreciate a commercial of that type. Uh, they should go to internationalman.com. Okay. Uh, we have, uh, it's a free newsletter that comes out daily, and the articles are really excellent. Very they are classic. excellent. Yeah, they're very different from all kinds of things. So go to internationalman.com. And I would also urge people, since I'm finishing the third book in my septet of novels, uh, go to Amazon and uh, get a copy of Speculator and Drug Lord, the first two novels in the series. I'm completing Assassin as we speak. All right. Uh, Look forward to it. When you finish it, we'll have you on again to talk about that, Doug. Thank you so much for being with us today and for uh, sharing your your very unique views. Very much appreciated. Thank you so much. Well, folks, that is all the time we have for this week. Next week, Rick Rule will be with us, and uh, I think John Rubino as well will join me. Uh, so until then, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Lion One Metals, one of 2019's top performing gold stocks, is geared for aggressive growth in 2020. With drilling underway and its fully permitted high-grade Tuvatu Gold Project in Fiji, one of the last high-grade gold deposits of its kind anywhere in the world, not owned by a major gold mining company, Lion One trades in the USA on the OTCQX under the symbol LOMLF and in Canada under LIO on the TSXV. To learn more about Lion One's world-class high-grade gold potential in Fiji, go to liononemetals.com.